Welcome, everyone, to the Tuesday edition of the Markets and Mortgages podcast. I am your host, Tyler Crawley, and I thought that we were going to be mortgage and housing information free on this podcast, which is kind of weird because it is called Markets and Mortgages. So you think there'd be some housing news to discuss, but I was saved. I was saved by Altos Research, who's always releases data every Monday. But then again, there's not, I didn't think there was going to be any new data because it is a bank holiday and there's just no financial news. But I was saved by Altos Research, who I I love this because they are starting this important conversation that you're going to hear a lot more about as we move through 2022. And that is how hot is the housing market going to get? before we start to see things cool off, which sounds kind of weird because if you listen to this podcast, I would have thought, and I'll admit, I thought we were already moving into that cooling period, but we're not. I like to look at the data. You know, you can make projections. I thought, hey, look, it looks like things are cooling off and you're you're seeing uh, you know, data with regards to the National Association of Realtors. You're looking at what's happening with construction permits and it looked like things were, I don't want to say, you know, moving in the negative direction, but they were kind of stagnating. They were leveling off. And so you thought, okay, that's what happens. And then things start kind of reversing. You're going to see prices fall. And we've seen that with regards to prices not moving up as fast. They're still moving up, but they're just not moving up as fast. So this is how it begins. Well, Altos is actually arguing that we are going to see bidding wars once again. And that is because of high demand, and low supply, which is usually what happens here. So one of the best indicators of supply and demand, as we all know, is, of course, price. When demand is high or supply is low, prices will rise. And when you see both happening at the same time, you get what we had, especially in the summer of 2021. Prices right now are indicating that we could be heading back to a very similar market like the one we saw Last year, Mike Simonson, CEO of Altos Research, tweeted, quote, both median asking price and the price of new listings ticked up this week. Median home prices in the U.S. were just over three hundred and seventy thousand dollars. And as we all know, prices, yeah, they might fluctuate here and there, but they don't lie when you're looking at a trend. And that is why this is important, because if you look at it on a chart, it's moving up, up, up. It's not lying. And why is this happening? The price hikes are thanks to inventory levels falling to new record lows. Simonson also tweeted that active inventory of unsold single-family homes hit a new record low for the week. 284,000 homes are unsold on the market right now. Now, the final piece to this puzzle, of course is demand. With rates rising above 3% in double-digit annual price gains that we saw earlier last year, some buyers decided to sit on the sidelines and wait for things to cool off. And we saw this. We saw articles about this. Buyers making multiple offers well above ask and getting denied. And they said, you know what? That's it. We can't go through this anymore. We're just going to wait and we're going to let things kind of cool off. Well, Ali Wolf, chief economist at Zonda, tweeted that buyer hesitancy has actually been cut in half from where we were at the end of summer 2021, tweeting, quote, 60% of builders were reporting buyer hesitancy as a main challenge from July through September. 
That percent has been coming down ever since for our mid-January survey, just 31% of builders are reporting buyer hesitancy. And that leads me to believe, well, there's a lot of factors I think that are in play here, but I think a lot of people who were kind of shocked at double-digit inflation with regards to home prices and rates which for the longest time had been falling thanks to COVID. They fell in 2020 and even were falling in the beginning of 2021 and mid-2021. Started going back up around the summertime. Not fast, but they did get above 3%. You had price, you had home prices at these just insane levels. And a lot of people were just, I think, kind of in shock at what was happening. But now they've gotten kind of used to it. They, as, as uh, one of my favorite quotes from a Steven Seagal movie, <laughs> no, I swear it's from a Steven Seagal movie. They say, no matter how weird something is, if you see it for long enough, you'll get used to it. And even though prices are still skyrocketing for the most part and rates are now moving up even faster, they've kind of gotten, it's kind of normalized. And so they're saying, you know what? Rates might move up even more. And if home prices continue to move up, That house is going to be even more expensive. So now let's try and jump back into the market. So no one is questioning whether or not the market is heating up again. The only real question is how hot things are going to get. Will this just be sort of a normal spring season that happens to be happening in January? Or will this be 2021 all over again? I guess we will be finding our answer soon enough. But I want to thank Altos Research for uh, actually giving me some housing news to discuss here on the Markets and Mortgages podcast. Now, on Friday, which seems so long ago, I know it, it, it seems three-day weekends tend to do that. Uh, on Friday, we got retail spending numbers from the Census Bureau, and they were not good. <laughs> they weren't not good. Um, the month-over-month data showed advanced estimates of U.S. retail and food services sales fell 1.9% to $626 billion in December. Year over year, now despite the monthly decline, advanced estimates did show that number was up 16.9% when compared to December 2020. So year over year, not bad, but a big, big, Big miss when you're looking at the month over month data. Economists had projected a drop of about 0.1%. So, I mean, pretty much unchanged. And it fell almost 2%. So, what was leading this decline? Well, actually, it was the golden child of retail during the pandemic internet retailers, which saw an explosion of growth, as we all know, because of COVID. They actually led the decline. 8.7% drop in December, followed by department stores. We're down 7%. Furniture stores down 5.5. Sporting good down 4.3. And electronic stores down 2.9%. Now, do you notice one thing they kind of all have in common, or at least a couple of those areas? Um, High ticket items, at least, you know, furniture stores, electronic stores kind of jumped out at me. And even sporting goods, you look at a sort of, when you have extra money, and I think you're starting to see inflation play a bigger impact in how it's affecting these retail numbers. Now, the only categories that were in the positive for the month were miscellaneous stores, which were up 1.8%. Home improvement was up 0.9%, and health stores were up 0.5%. Now, looking at year-over-year data, this is something that probably a lot of us are happy to see. Restaurants 
saw the biggest jump. They were up 41.3%, followed, not surprisingly, by gas stations. <laughs> That's what happens when gas rises. Uh, up 41%. Clothing stores were up 29.5%. Department stores, 225 And sporting goods stores were up 18.1%. So I mentioned inflation. Uh, Brian Chapita over at Bloomberg noted on Twitter that these numbers were really kind of something else. I mean, they just really surprised a lot of people. He said Omicron certainly played a role. So did early holiday shopping to beat supply chains. Probably some big seasonal adjustments too, but still in the end, quite a surprising figure. And I think Chapita makes a good point. The supply chain disruptions were well covered by the news and the data is cleared that the the news covering what could be issues leading into the Christmas season, people started shopping earlier for the holidays. And so they pushed up their holiday spending, which led to a real big boom in, I think it was late September, early October, which of course would then translate to lower numbers in December. But was December just a result of those purchases being transferred? We don't know. Omicron is also an unknown. The virus is having major impact on labor markets, people calling in sick, uh, testing positive for COVID. You have to wonder if these store closings are having an impact on retail spending or shortening hours. Every time I turn around, you're seeing another store shrinking the hours that they are open. But then finally, inflation. Consumer prices are up 7%. And some are wondering if we finally reached a price level that is deterring consumers from, well, consuming. January's data will answer some of these questions because hopefully you're looking at some of the data, especially from big markets like New York. We're starting to see that COVID wave start to downturn. And so we're going to find out, is it Omicron? Was it holiday spending? Or is inflation finally impacting consumers? A lot of people wondered what that magic number was going to be. We've seen we've seen no indication. I mean, these inflation numbers are the highest we've seen in 40 years, and it doesn't seem to be deterring consumers. Could we finally be at that point? Just like with the housing data, we'll find out soon enough. And then to wrap things up, I wanted to talk about another story that I saw on Friday, only because... It's just a fascinating story on Wall Street. Nothing to do with housing. Well, it kind of does because she did buy some Zillow stock there for a while, which when that whole eye buying thing fell apart, she probably regretted that. I, of course, am talking about Kathy Wood, who has been the golden child on Wall Street, or at least she was in 2020 and 2021. Not so much, I should say, late 2021 and early 2022. In fact, Bloomberg reported on Friday that investors had pulled $352 million from her flagship ARK Innovation ETF. Like I said, that data was compiled by Bloomberg. That was the biggest outflow since March. So why the large outflows? Well, the end of 2021 and the start of this year have not been very good for Kathy Wood. Bloomberg also reported that ARK is now down about 50% from its all-time high in February of last year. Bloomberg also notes that many investors have stayed loyal despite the losses starting to pile up. And it's funny because I saw that number. I saw the outflows and then I saw that she was down about 50%. Now, I think she was green. She was up a little bit on Friday. 
as a lot of people were. But I saw that 50% number and it immediately reminded me of this great exchange between Vinnie Matone and John Merriweather in Roger Lowstein's book, When Genius Failed. I'd actually reread this thing over Christmas. It'd been a while since I read it. Fascinating book. It's about the, de- the demise of long-term capital management, which is so funny because it happened over like a month. <laughs> like They went from having $4 billion in assets to essentially almost being bankrupt and having, and having to be bailed out by other major Wall Street banks thanks to the Federal Reserve. I mean, it's, it's a fascinating story if you've never looked into it. But there was a, there was a time in the middle of August when they were down by half. I mean, it was, it was so quick how things turned around from them, mostly because of how leveraged they were. And, so, and they get into it in the book as to how this could have possibly happened. But there's a great exchange where Matone asked bluntly, where are you? And Meriwether, of course, who founded and the head of the firm, said, we're down by half. Matone replied, you're finished, as if this conclusion needed no explanation. This is, of course, an excerpt from Lowenstein's book. For the first time, Meriwether sounded worried. What are you talking about? We still have two billion. We have half. We have Soros. At the time, he thought Soros was going to provide some capital injections into the firm, which, of course, did not end up happening. Uh, Matone smiled sadly. When you're down by half, people figure you can go down all the way. They're going to push the market against you. They're not going to roll your trades. You're finished. And I just, I thought about that because I was like, oh my gosh, Kathy Wood's down by 50%. Now, Kathy Wood is down by half. Many of her investors have stood with her, hoping to get back to those triple digit returns. However, the outflows have begun. Now, will her investors stay loyal or do they think now that she's down by 50%, she can go down all the way? Now, that's a little, I will say, hyperbolic statement (laughs) because yeah, I mean, ETF is very different from, you know, a hedge fund and long-term capital and the way, you know, their investments are, are structured versus say an ETF and the way that money is invested. But it's kind of fascinating because there was a piece in the wall street journal uh, by Jason Zweig. And I think I'm pronouncing that correctly in which he actually explains how Kathy Wood's fund has, has been a victim of its own success, writing that the arc innovation ETF posted big returns and big money followed. And now it's the latest example of what happens when a fund becomes too large for its own good. And he talks about, you know, Warren Buffett and others, people who had tremendous returns, but then once you get to a certain size, you unfortunately become the market, especially in a lot of the smaller stocks that Kathy Wood invests in. I mean, she like becomes the market. So she cannot jump out of positions without causing huge swings in those stocks. Very similar to kind of long-term capital management where they became the market and they couldn't jump out of a position without tanking that position. It was impossible. So once again, it's not close to really being that similar, but it does become a problem when you become this big firm and all of a sudden you're such a huge investor, you start determining the market and that becomes a problem when you need to jump in and out of trades. You can't do it anymore. You just can't. And so she's kind of a victim of her own success. I mean, what did she make? 121% in 2020, something along those lines. It was some crazy number like that. So it'll be fascinating to see what, what happens with Kathy Wood. Uh, my boss is convinced that she's going to be the poster child for when this big correction, everyone's wondering when this next correction is going to happen in the stock market. He's convinced that when uh, we do see a big downturn and a lot of companies go belly up, 
that she's going to be sort of the poster child for jumping into some of these very similar to the dot com. You know, these companies that really didn't make a lot of sense on a balance sheet, but they promised this big growth. And so everyone was investing in the promise and not actually looking at what the company was actually doing right now. So we will see. We'll see what happens. All right, we got to go. You guys enjoy your Tuesday. And as always, don't forget to sign up for the companion morning newsletter at marketsandmortgages.com. But enjoy your Tuesday. We'll see you back here Wednesday morning for another edition of Markets and Mortgages. And as always, do not wait to buy real estate. You buy real estate and wait. We'll be right back.